Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey, I'm still alive. Yet again. Maybe not found a way to kill him yet. Made it through another week. <laughs> here, here in the live performance of the aristocrats. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Today we are talking about The Almanac of Dust, a novella by Pharaoh Rose Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to check this out, the link will be in the description. And we'll start with Steve, as we always do. What give us some general thoughts on it? Um, it is very different than what we've been reading. It's a lot more stream of consciousness style, with a focus on the uh, language, mm-hmm. uh, um, as opposed to a straight story. Um, a, a lot of it reminded me a lot of um, things like uh, Naked Lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not in content, but in style. Um, and I, I say Naked Lunch as opposed to some of later Burroughs' work because it's definitely not cut up. You know, right. you write it and then cut and paste, which to an extent happened in 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 uh, Naked Lunch, but just because of the uh, the way it's structured and how how sometimes. Um, what you're reading and what you've read don't quite go together. It's it's very surreal. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was reading it, I was getting uh, more of a Robert Chambers kind of vibe, um, and that that kind of decadent school from it, where everything is very eloquent and and poetic. But it's also very bleak. It, it's super bleak. Um, I, I mean, I guess the the title you would kind of infer that from the title. Mm-hmm. Almanac of Dust. Um, the, one one of the actual themes that comes in later of the book is actually reminiscent of Philip K. Dick's um, his, his idea of gubbish and how everything um, is tends towards chaos mm-hmm. and how systems just automatically break down. Right now. We're not going to discuss too many like plot elements here. We'll warn you as we normally do, uh, because this is more of a literary work. Um, the narrative structure isn't as cut and dried as a lot of uh, genre fiction we discuss on the show. Yeah, it's it's it it uh it's more um, experimental than anything we've really read. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the occasional short story we've read screws with you with structure and and that but this is is very uh just in your face if if you come into this expecting to go from point a to point b to point c have a climax and then you know follow the three-act structure of most literature you're not going to get that no no very very much uh, an exercise in uh subverting form yeah most now now, I said this was a very short work. One of the interesting things that she does is in between uh, sections or chapters, there are no real chapters, but... You have these vignettes. Right. In between scenes. Yeah. Um, we have pages that are uh, notes from the main character as he is studying this book, The Almanac of Dust, interspersed with a few quotes from the almanac itself. And... The Almanac of Dust is kind of kind of the third character. There are two main characters, and, and I believe the book itself is kind of a third character that exists in the background. 
Yeah, more almost, of an influence. Most definitely, it, it's got that that uh that that a similar vibe to something like the Necronomicon or or the uh, or the Yellow Sign, something like that, without um the overt influence that those things have in their in their various places right so I, I don't think that the almanac of dust so much as um alters events and, or creates reality the way like the yellow sign does it, it more describes reality as it is right it, it it's definitely it's it's more it literally is an almanac right and it just instead of um telling you when to plant the the beets it, it tells you at what stage of um towards chaos the world is is heading mm -hmm. and we pick up the action of the book at a later stage of the chaos um i haven't decided whether or not it is our current earth or if it is some kind of alternate earth or uh a dying earth kind of setting or if it's Kind of an elsewhere i think it's an elsewhere it's very very um vague mm -hmm. and kind of alien as yeah, well yeah yeah there's there's enough um enough there for us to recognize um mm -hmm. people as people and behaviors as behaviors but just the the things that they deal with are, are things that we don't deal with for, for example um the world is not filling up with dust right now <laughs> Right. Um, but she has taken things that phenomena that we do have um, here and blended that into her 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 world um, like that. The lake mm -hmm. where it, it's so choked with this acidic dust that to go onto the lake is a death sentence and, and your preserved corpse will eventually wash up on the right. shore. Um, they, they had that thing going around on uh, social media about the lake that preserves anything that goes onto it because of the high salt content of the lake, right? Mm -hmm. You remember yes. that? So there's definitely like real world um, examples that she's fit in to to this to 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 her world to make it, um, I, I guess, uh, more eerie mm -hmm. because it's not completely alien. It's stuff. That does happen, right? It's just it's familiar enough that you can relate to the world, but it's but it is alien. Um, I have, and, and not only is it alien, it's the end of an alien world, right? Uh, um, where where this dust is just taking over everything, and most of the inhabitants are fleeing to this the silver city, right? Which um, is apparently the only. Uh, refuge of modernity left yes. in this particular area because we it's not a very big area we're talking about. No, um, it takes him several days to hike out there when it actually happens. Mm -hmm. But throughout the whole latter part, I guess the middle part of the, of the book, um, everyone is in a state of exodus to the Silver City because things have gotten so choked with this dust. Um, that it's affected everything. There's not, nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. Crops won't harvest. Like I said, there's a, you know, you go on the water and the and the dust will kill you. Right. There's there's no animals to hunt, or the animals that are there 
are not only affected by the dust themselves, they're so few and far between. Right. And, and you also get the impression that, uh, you know, nobody is 100% well either. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- people have congenital diseases that, that I, I found in my mind were, were attributed to the dust as well, just mm-hmm. to the general, almost like nuclear fallout. And maybe that's what the dust is. It's never really explained where the dust comes from, what it is, um, it, but it does act in part like nuclear fallout. Mm-hmm. It so, does. So you have this main character, um, and in the beginning, uh, the very like the the, the prelude, um, he has these visions of the Silver City, and they're not pleasant. Right. Um, and he throughout the, the book, he's very anti Silver City, um, and any any time it's mentioned, he gets vis- visibly disturbed, angry, mm-hmm. um, because to him it's a bad place, and the rest of everyone. Um, feels that the Silver City is this refuge, an oasis in this um, oncoming um, dust attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he's He gets very visibly distraught, but it almost, almost seems like he feels that the Silver City is this almost Babylon where yes. everybody looks at it as a shining jewel of, of progress and advancement. And he just sees it as this den of corruption. Right. He actually um, confronts a couple headed toward the Silver City um, and asks them why they're going there. And they have a sick child. And, they, and the Silver City has all this modern medicine. And he's, how could they possibly have modern medicine when they, they're isolated and have no communication with the outside world? Right. So, I mean, he's definitely on team No Silver City. Right. Um, he also bears a grudge against the Silver City because his, I guess, girlfriend, wife, wife, partner, partner. We'll say partner, right? Because uh, I, I don't, I don't think Farah explicitly says they were married. Yeah, or, I think it was or really the the nature of their relationship, other than it was romantic, intimate, right, and and, and, and committed. And when when we enter this relationship once again, it's at like the 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 tail end when things are are when systems are breaking down. Um, she's got some sort of um, chronic illness that he cannot understand, right? Um, or, or either he cannot understand it, or he refuses to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and despite everything he does that he thinks he's doing correctly, vis a vis this woman. Bianca, um, is that's her name, right? Bianca, Brianna, Brianna. Sorry, um, he he just can't get it right because he, he he because just because he can't grasp where she's coming from. So um, eventually, she goes to the Silver City um, because that's where she believes she can get cured, mm-hmm. and he very very reluctantly lets her. Um, now, what's what's also interesting about this main character is you have the dynamic in the beginning of his relationship with with Brianna, and his name is Bodhi. His name is Bodhi, and I'll get to that in a second because that was rather interesting name choice. Brianna has this chronic illness. She's not even certain what exactly is going on. Uh, she's losing weight. She has she gets a little delirious at times, um, and Bodhi. Even decide. I mean, he genuinely wants to help. 
with the exception of taking her to the Silver City. He even considers going back to the ancient practice of alchemy, which he, as a serious philosophical scholar, doesn't care for, but he's willing to do this for her sake. Maybe he can come up with, his brilliant mind can come up with something to help. Right. But he's also very detached as an individual. He, he really doesn't seem to be able to grasp human interaction too well. It's almost like he goes through the motions right. himself. Yeah. Where, where Brianna is, is kind of presented as this ghost who walks. Bodhi is, is kind of an outsider among outsiders. Right. He's, he's um, always kind of looking in and trying to figure out what the real world is like. And meanwhile, and he seems to be more comfortable, especially when he's with Brianna, uh, delving into the almanac of dust and the mad ravings of the author. Right. Now, Bodhi is an interesting name to me because um, Bodhi from Sanskrit, B-O-D-H-I, uh, is awakened like Bodhidharma. Um, and that's really what kind of happens to him over the course of the, the story is that he goes from this position of ignorance to seeing reality as it actually is possibly true there is there is questionable um there is whether or not he's actually seeing what he's seeing but i believe that he's actually you know that it's it's played straight and he's not hallucinating or anything like that, that. he's kind of got the impression he was seeing what he wanted to see what he expected to see right and that that is a possibility now, Farah, for this type of fiction, does eschew the unreliable narrator trope that we see in this type of story so often. Right. Giving us an omniscient uh, narrator just telling us what's going on. And there's very little dialogue because most of it is told from uh, just behind Bodhi's eyeballs. Right. It's, it's definitely his stream of consciousness and his opinions and his observations. Um, and it's also colored, I think, by the, uh, the excerpts from his study of the Almanac of Dust mm -hmm. and uh, the excerpts from the book itself, which are like um, negative cones. Kind of, kind of. Um, they're, they're little thought riddles that are, are programmed towards um, negativity. <laughs> And, and and nihilism right there it's like um if well if there was more zen and cosmicism <laughs> it would be like that uh as you say they're they're kind of they're kind of like koans but not really yeah and and the almanac of dust itself is kind of like um i was reading it and i was getting shades of the diamond sutra uh or the Tao Te Ching as uh it's just like little short paragraphs that are kind of mysterious kind of mystical but definitely a, a a type of mysticism where it only ends in tears yeah i mean it's all bleak yes and while the writing is is well done it's very literary it's very uh thick writing as you could say it's very very meaty you can sit there and, and reread passages and chew on them for a while uh I think the bleakness of it is something that I'm growing to separate myself from. Uh, 
uh, we've mentioned it several times regarding many stories. And for me, that's the the one real drawback is that everything is horrible and it's it's so bleak. And, and it's not even really like a darkness. It's more of a the world's not into ending with a bang or really a whimper. It's it's Winding. ending ending with a defeated sigh. Yeah, it's it's definitely got that everything is winding down you can tell that like there's no new energy being put into the system so mm-hmm. it's dying right and slowly dying um which is why it kind of reminded me of, of that philip k dick gubbish thing where um he talks about it in, in um mainly in uh uh shit, um the uh, Mars one. Um, fuck. I can't believe I can't Total remember. Recall? No, the, the, real, the good Mars one. The good Mars one. <laughs> um, Philip K. Dick's the uh, good Martian, Mars one. Martian time slip. Martian time slip. He, 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 well, the similarity, it's, it's kind of funny because the main character, or the main subject, not the main character, of Martian time slip uh, is this kid who has um, a mental group disorder and his disorder allows him to uh slip through time and he could see um he can replay certain moments and everything but as he does this things get worse and worse Mm -hmm. um and then he could he can bring that sense to other people and show them like these horrible horrible future it's hard to describe Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things that he he talks about this kid talks about is gubbish um and and you get these these landscapes of just things that are rotting and falling apart and and just utter bleakness through the through human waste mm-hmm. and and the the just how things progress in this in this book reminds me of that it doesn't necessarily have that human element as as part of the bringer of chaos, but it's definitely as as time goes on in this book, the entropy is is more and more until until um, and and I couldn't tell if it was a, a breakdown on the part of uh, Bodhi himself and his perceptions or reality uh, some some. Um, you know, just just fixed reality at the end of this, where it, it climaxes into like this complete bleak and and blasted landscape, and it's hard to tell whether Bodhi um, is is seeing true, or if his his um, preconceptions of of the Silver City have gotten him to the point where he sees what he's always believed it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that uh, you know, for for Bodhi, for Bodhi, for Brianna, for everybody that exists in this world, um, mm-hmm. yeah, in part, but they're they're they are not separate from the environment. It is not one of these cases where you know everything's going to shit, and the people are pretty much the same. Is that as the world decays, Bodhi's mental state is also decaying. Yes. Uh, which leads him on this, on his kind of almost a vision quest of sorts to get to the Silver City. And and it almost seems like he gets to the, the Silver City. And the, the one thing is the tallest building 
and he goes through the tallest building and it is almost like an inverted Dante's Inferno where the higher he ascends, the more horrible, the worse it gets. And it's kind of parallel to uh, the, what the book is telling him is that the more you understand and the more you're able to see the worse it's going to seem because it's, it's really that it's really that bad. Right. And, and nobody, and we've had books um, that have dealt with similar, Mm -hmm. um, the encroaching chaos. I mean, the one we just read legend Mm -hmm. where you have this hopeless situation happening. And in most of those, there is somebody actively fighting against this entrance in whatever form it. Um, and in this, no one, everyone's just going with, there's, there's no, no one is, is, you know, standing up to the environment and saying, no more, I will fight the dust. I will, I will resist the dust. It's the dust is there. There's nothing you can do about it. You react to the dust. Did, did you hear any of that? Yes. The phone, phone was ringing. Kids were thumping. All right. Um, so, Even in that way, you know, you have like this bleak outlook because there's no heroes, right? Even if the heroes don't succeed, and you know, in a lot of the stuff that we've read, they don't because you know it's mythos related and no one, no one wins. Um, But you have people trying, Mm -hmm. people who are trying to resist whatever is coming, and in here, like I said, you don't have that. You have. Everyone gives in. Everyone goes to the Silver City. Everyone, no one wants to to fight the oncoming chaos. Right. Well, Bodhi and Brianna try to resist, but their resistance is kind of more of a do nothing. We'll stay here at our quaint country cottage, uh, and we will attempt to carry on life as normal as much as possible. Right, which is impossible because they're highly affected by whatever's going on. I'm, I'm assuming that um, her her disease is related to the encroaching dust. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was probably a direct consequence of studying the book, but uh, Farrah does a good job of turning that trope on its head. Right. And saying, nope, you're wrong. Shame on you for thinking that. <laughs> Well, to be fair, it reminded you of Chambers, so. Right. And, yeah. And a lot of Chambers' work is always somebody makes a really bad decision. Right. (laughs) Yes. And in this book, there are no bad decisions because the decisions that are made are really the only ones available. Yeah, the reactive. Mm -hmm. Instead of proactive. No one comes up with a plan. You know, the, the, the most plan every, anyone ever comes up with is, oh, um, well, we're going to go to the Silver City. Right. And that turns out to be a bad decision. Possibly. Right. <laughs> because, like you said, we the only um, point of view we have is Bodhi's. And right. his um, is admittedly tainted. Um, and at, at the end, where he's half mad, he very well could be just seeing what he wants, what he expects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's that um, that trope where um, the the one guy left who doesn't believe in God is not allowed into heaven when everybody else, right? You know, Moses. Mm-hmm. And that wraps it up for the Almanac of Dust, Pharaoh Rose Smith. Uh, link 
for getting it will be in the description below. I believe she has it available through Lulu. Yeah, I think it's print on demand from Lulu. Yep. So get yourself a physical copy and uh, give it a read. And uh, yeah, if you want to let us know what you thought, uh, hit us up at microphones of madness at gmail.com or stop by the Facebook group, facebook.com slash microphones of madness. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Tell us just how wrong we are. Yeah. Or don't tell us how wrong. We are. Tell us how right we are. Tell us how much you love us every week. Yeah, yeah, that's the one right there. Uh, the podcast is available on Podbean, mnh.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. So be sure to uh, subscribe uh, and uh, leave some reviews and whatnot. Yeah, tell your friends. Man. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tie somebody to a chair. Force them to listen to our insane ramblings as we delve into the world. Use this as your clockwork orange. Strange literature. And until next time, keep 30 luck points. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm.